Morning. Uh, Steve and I were talking earlier this week uh, about the book of Joshua and about where we'd got to it, and we were saying how hard it is actually to preach on single chapters, because the stories in Joshua very much sort of flow into one another, and it's hard to understand one chapter without really understanding uh, what the other one is, and Steve's just given us a bit of an overview, a reminder this morning already. But for example, it's very hard to understand the significance of the crossing of the Jordan in chapters 3 and 4, unless you understand in chapter 1, God reminded Joshua of promises about why this land was going to be given. Very hard to understand the significance of the circumcision at Gilgal in chapter 5, unless you understood the insignificance of crossing over the Jordan in chapters 3 and 4. It's very hard to understand the significance of Joshua's encounter with the angel at the end of five without understanding the preparation that went before that at Gilgal at the beginning of the chapter. Very hard to understand the significance of what you looked at last week, which was the conquest of that mighty fortress of Jericho coming down in chapter six without understanding that they needed to dedicate themselves first to God in chapter five. And it's Certainly hard, if not impossible, to understand our passage today, which is going to be Joshua chapter 7, without our understanding what's happened in the chapter before. Because look how chapter 7 starts. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. If you've not got your Bible, just give yourself a little slap and say, bother, I forgot my Bible, really, really must remember to bring it next week. If you're sitting next to someone who didn't bring it last week, give them a slap and say, you really must bring it next week. It starts like this, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. The Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Kami, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Okay, so we just first need to remind ourselves, what on earth is all that about? What what were these devoted things that this guy, Achan, took that he wasn't supposed to be doing? Okay, let's go back a little bit then to last week to refresh our minds. Last week you looked uh, in African style at Joshua chapter 6, and that fantastic story of the walls of Jericho. Actually, Steve, I thought this morning when I came in, really, those should be smashed down by now, and we should actually be seeing the promised land uh, behind it there. So you remember the story last week. Quick recap. This mighty fortress of Jericho, one of the oldest cities in the world, archaeologists believe, huge walls, huge towers, and this is the first city that Israel has to come up against. And God's fantastic plan for conquering this city is a praise march. You remember, for six days, they have to walk around, they march around the city in silence. All that's allowed to happen is the priests with the Ark of the Covenant are allowed to blow those shofars, those ram's horns. Actually, when you think about it, it must have been quite psychologically unnerving for the folk inside the city. They must have been, what on earth is going on? Because there's this march of 
all these people around the city and they don't say a word and they mark and then they go away. And you must have thought, wow, whew, that was close. And then the next morning they're back again and the ram's horns are, are sounding once again and they march in absolute silence. And they do this for six days until, in last week's chapter, on the seventh day, they march around for six times. That must have been really unnerving. Thinking, what's going on here? And on the seventh time round, God had told them that they were to give a loud shout. I don't know what it was they shouted. Was it Yahweh? Was it Jericho? For a... I don't know what it was. But there's this huge shout goes up and the walls simply collapse. By the way, that area is quite subject to earthquakes, so not difficult at all. Fantastic miracle timing of it, but it may well have been an earthquake just loosened those walls and made them collapse. And in they go, and they take that city. Now, Joshua had said something before they went in that, frankly, is one of the most challenging bits of the Bible. And I'm really glad that Dave Perry is going to be talking about this on December the 5th. We've got um, a special evening meeting, it is December 5th, yeah, uh, when we're going to look at this whole issue because there's some really hard stuff in Joshua and I don't think we help ourselves by pretending it's not because there's some slaying and butchery that goes on that we would call today ethnic cleansing. So I was doing that with King's Bible College uh, last week before last, but Dave's going to do it with all of you. So conveniently, I can miss referring to anything about that at all other than stating it happened until you come on December the 5th and Dave will explain it all. <laughs> He's quaking in his boots even as I say that. Why don't you just turn back for a moment to chapter 6, verse 17, because this is going to help us with our story. Joshua, it said, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared. Now, brackets, Rahab had helped the spies earlier on, and she put her faith in God, so she's going to be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Now, that was what was known in the language of the time as putting something under the ban. There's a particular... Hebrew expression for it. And what it meant was that in a time of battle, if God so decreed, everything that was taken belonged to God, either by destruction or by dedicating it to him and putting it in the sanctuary. Nothing could be taken as plunder, which was very common, obviously, in the ancient world. Everything had to be devoted to God. It was either going to be destroyed or devoted now, Rahab had missed that destroyed bit, as I said, by putting her faith in the living God and believing in him. And so she had escaped the judgment of God. 
By the way, that's always true in New Testament times as well. The only way to escape the judgment of God is by faith. But the rest of the city hadn't put their faith in God, hadn't repented, and so came under God's judgment. So there's the background. Everything in this city either had to be dedicated and put in the temple or destroyed. Or judgment was going to come on Israel itself. Okay, so now let's go to chapter 7 then, which is where we're going to see what happened next. Well, I think as we come to chapter 7, I think emotions must have been running pretty high. I mean, here was this group of people who for the last 40 years had just been nomads. They come up against the most strongly fortified city in the world at that time, and they had taken it. I wonder if you can imagine the sort of conversations that would have been going on at that time as they went up to the next place. Uh, you know, no doubt there were conversations, you know, as they were getting, hey, Simon, did you sh- wasn't it great the way those walls came down? Did you shout? I shout, I'm telling you. Did you shout, Simon? It was great. We've got another one. This is going to be really good, isn't it? It was so easy last time. And there must have been this sense of excitement, expectation. We did it! As they come to this next city of AI. So there's this huge confidence, huge um, animation and excitement and atmosphere as they make their way up the hill. Big hill, by the way. Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level. AI is 2,500 feet above sea level. So you've got a 3,300-foot climb over a 12-mile hike in the desert, in that blazing heat. But I imagine what had happened last time kept them going through all of that. They're, They're on a bit of a roll, frankly. And suddenly, it all goes wrong. Let's read. Verse 2. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and he told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, "Ah, not all the people will have to go up against Ai, just send two or three thousand men to take it. And don't weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So you got the atmosphere there? Overconfidence, we can do it. Hey, this is easy. After Jericho, man, we can do anything. So about 3,000 men went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. And they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Let's stop there for a moment. I wonder what was going on in their thinking now. Well, my guess is there were all sorts of questions going on. Like, what had gone wrong? (laughs) It worked last time, why didn't it work this time? Where was God? Uh, Maybe the Canaanite God Baal is stronger than our God Yahweh. After all, I'm sure their minds were full of all sorts of questions at this point. 
So what Joshua knows he needs to do more than anything else at this moment is to stop and find out why. You know, when things go wrong in life, it's good to stop to find out why. Rather than just keep doing more of the same, hoping that we'll get a different result by doing more of the same. And Joshua thinks, do you know, we, we need to stop and work out how we ended up here. I just felt I wanted to put something in here this morning. You know, asking how did we end up here is a really good question to ask in life. Um, sometimes people can sort of drift away from their Christian faith. Backslide, it's often called. And I have never yet met anybody who woke up one morning, stretched, opened the curtain, saw the lovely sun and thought, hmm, what a nice day. I think I'll backslide today. (laughs) What normally happens is what happened in this story. Something went wrong. And rather than saying, hello, why was, why was that? What, what's going on here? What happened was it either got shelved or ignored or not dealt with or thought that it would go away and it would be all right. And little by little, you just keep it at an arm's length and keep it at an arm's length and, until eventually you can find your Christian faith not quite what it used to be and doesn't mean quite as much, and if you miss a Sunday, it doesn't really matter. And before you know it, you're not praying, and before you know it, you've drifted away because you never stopped to say to God, what went wrong, and what should I do about it like Joshua's going to do? And I put that in because I felt there might be some people here this morning, for whom that rings a bell for you. And if it does, it's not because your friend or whoever you've come with or your partner or anything sort of had a word with me and said, Steve Jones will be here this Sunday. Will you, will you put this in for him? <laughs> she didn't ring me honest, okay. <laughs> I've put it in because I think God wants you to know this morning he's still got an open door for you. And this morning is as good as any to come back and say, you know what, I was stupid. (laughs) Something went wrong. I had my AI in life. And rather than say, so God, what's all this about? I I just ended up drifting. And if you're one of those this morning who's ended up drifting, God wants to say to you this morning, there is a way out of this as surely as there was for Joshua in this story. So, let's come and look at how he got out of this. Let's look this morning, I've called it Dealing with Defeat. Uh, And let's read on in the story and see what he did. I'm going to be breaking it up into sections this morning. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell face down to the ground 
before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Let's pause there for a moment. Okay, I want to ask two simple questions this morning. The first is this. Let's look at why defeat was experienced. Well, the first reason they experienced defeat, we've already seen really in the summary of the story, and that was what I've called relying on self. Relying on self. Back in verse 3. Yeah, not all the people will have to go up against AI. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And don't weary all the people. For only a few men are there. We've done this before. We've seen we can do it. We've got the resources. We've got the know-how. We can do this. Just a few people. I mean, just look last time. All we did was walk around. It was easy. And where did God come into all of their thinking and planning? Answer? Absolutely nowhere. They don't call on God. They don't ask God for strategy like they got strategy for the last one. They just presumed that what worked last time will work this time, that they now had the ability. Two or three thousand men can easily do this. And this self-reliance, this confidence in their own ability, this experience from the past was their undoing. Do you know what? Sometimes our experience of the past can be our greatest enemy as well as our greatest friend. Because we just become presumptuous and know that we can do it and we end up doing it in our own strength. So there was a measure of relying on self, but actually that wasn't the chief reason it went wrong. Let's read on a couple of more verses. Verse 10, Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up, what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned, they've violated my covenant which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things, they've stolen, they've lied, they've put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites can't stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've made, been made liable to destruction. They've been put under the ban. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So the second reason that I've called it this morning is pleasing self, relying on self and pleasing self. Someone had sinned. That is, someone had done what God 
had told them specifically not to do. That's the essence of sin. It's, it's doing what God says not to do. Israel has sinned. They've violated my covenant. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. And that selfish choice of one person had affected the whole nation. There'd been a rout, and 36 of that man's fellow countrymen had been killed because of him, because of his selfish decision. Trouble is, what Achan hadn't realized in stealing some stuff, in, and we'll see what later in the story, in taking some stuff that was supposed to be dedicated to God, what it seemed was this, this wasn't just about stealing or desiring, it was actually about breaking the covenant. Because this was about deciding whether you were part of the covenant people or not. And God had said as part of his covenant, he would take Israel into the land, but they had to obey him. You know, the promise of God to Israel that they can have the land has never been a willy-nilly promise. It's about obeying God and being available for God's bigger purpose, which is about being a light to the Gentiles, by the way, not just living for themselves. So he makes this decision that's a fundamental breaking of the covenant with God. And here's the the thing that struck me when I read this this week. Do you know what? God let him. He decides he wants to do something that God says don't do and God let him. Actually, God never stops us when we want to please ourselves. It doesn't make it impossible for us to disobey. It doesn't take our free will, our ability to choose. Do you want a non-Christian boyfriend? Do you want a non-Christian girlfriend? Do you want to spend yet more money on yet more drink tonight? Do you want to spend hours on the internet, whether on chat rooms or on porn sites? Do you want to leave your arrogance that everybody tells you about and that you dismiss unchecked? Do you know what? God won't stop you. He's not going to send a thunderbolt from heaven to get in the way of it. He won't stop you, but I also tell you this, neither will he bless you. Because he blesses us when we walk in obedience. And what Achan learned in this story to his cost and to the cost of others was that in doing the opposite of what God said, he'd walk out of blessing, was still somehow hoping God's blessing would come down on him. And it hadn't. It had been taken not just from him, but from the whole people of God. Sorry, it's a bit heavy going, this stuff, isn't it? It's a bit challenging, but it's God's word. And the reason we work through books like this is so that we don't just deal with the bits that make us feel happy. Is We do these bits so it makes us face up to stuff so that we can face up to stuff so we can feel happy. But very often you can't get to the feeling happy till you've done the facing up to stuff. 
And that's what this is about here. Israel was going to have to face up to stuff. God still wanted to bless them, but they were going to have to face up to stuff first. Because God's not this magician in the sky. He wants to work with us, not despite us. Okay, let's look now at what this guy had done. Let's jump ahead a little in the story to verse 20. We'll see how it comes out in just a moment. But Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And they're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. What was everything supposed to be done? It was either supposed to be dedicated or destroyed. What had he done? He'd taken these things for himself. Did you notice that little progression of verbs there, by the way? He, sorry, I saw, I coveted, I took. You see the movement there? Saw, coveted, took. It's what we call these days the world of advertising. So, look, look, you want this, you can't live without this. Your neighbour's got it, your mate's got it, your roommate's got it. Look, this is really good, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is really good what I want. Same old principle. Saw, coveted, took. Funny, he ended up seeing, coveting and taking the same things that People want to see, cover, and take today. Fashion and dosh. They're still two of the biggest challenges to us today. Nothing new under the sun, really, is there? By the way, there's nothing wrong with fashion and clothes or money, per se, if they're handled right. Let me just say that in passing. But we do have to be careful of both, because both have got a very attracting power to want more or different. And these are still two big things in life. Well, of course, the deeper issue here was he'd not just pleased himself, he'd not just taken something he shouldn't have done. He'd actually, the the, the trouble was he had willfully identified himself with that which was devoted to destruction. God had said, all in this city is devoted to destruction or to me and to my temple. And it's as if by taking them, he'd said, I align myself with what is going to be destroyed. And then he'd hidden it in his tent and hoped that somehow that wouldn't apply to him. Little wonder then. That God had said, verse 13, go consecrate the people, tell them consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that which is devoted is among you, O Israel. Listen to the next sentence. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Because what had been taken now symbolized, God, we we don't want to do it your way. We don't want to be your covenant people. Oh, but we'd still like the blessings, please. And God said, it doesn't work like that. You have to walk with me and walk my ways if you want my 
blessings. Okay, that's why defeat was experienced. That's enough misery. Let's move on to the second point, how defeat was overcome. How defeat was overcome. Why don't we read now the second part of this story. Verse 14, Len. In the morning, God said, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. And he who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. For he has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. Then the clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taken. And Joshua had his family come forward man by man and Achan, son of Kami, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan replied, it's true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, sheep, tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they'd stoned the rest, they burnt them. And over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor, trouble, ever since. Wow, another challenging story there. Brief, if nothing else, it brings home to us, doesn't it, that John Donne's favourite that famous quote, no man is an island. Okay, three steps in that story then to overcoming defeat. And I think these are things we can apply in our own life today when we feel we've been defeated. First was honest repentance. This, this story is full of repentance from everybody except the man who did it. Back in verse 6, Joshua, the elders, deeply grieved. Sackcloth and ashes, traditional ways of showing their grief. Deeply grieved they've let God down. 
Contrast that with Achan. Now, if you look at verse 20, yes, he's very quick to confess. But when? When he's been found out. Not, not until he's found out does he say, yeah, Gov, it was me. I come clean. He had had hours to come clean. See, what was happening here was they were casting lots. It was an Old Testament way of prayerfully, it was almost like drawing names out of a hat, we would see, but prayerfully. No Holy Spirit in the way that we have him to give us guidance today. And so they cast lots. And they worked their way down from these two million plus people in Israel, the nation, and the Israel's made of tribes, 12 tribes, so they get that that tribe, and then the tribe's made of clans, lots of them, and they find which clan, and the clan's made of families, lots of them, and they find the family, and the family is not 2.2 children, remember, it's mum and dad and grandma and granddad and your uncle's brother's sister who died because you'd taken them in, and gradually they work their way down. It would be a bit like As if I were to say this morning, there is someone in here who has deeply sinned against the Lord. Now, you're all worrying because it's all of you, including me. And I say, okay, the Lord's leading me. I I see, first of all, it is not in the outer section. So they, thank goodness for that. Actually, I really believe it's in the front, it's in this middle block. So you lot are breathing a sigh of relief now. Because all those sins have just got missed. <laughs> and then I cast lots and think, actually, it's not just in the middle block, it's in the front half of the middle block. So Stuart's smiling now. <laughs> and not only is it in the front block, it's in the front of the front block. In fact, it's within the first three rows of the front block. Okay, this is what it was like. You've got the picture? It's homing in on you, except I did that in about 60 seconds. It would have taken several hours probably to do it. And little by little, what God is doing is he is narrowing it down, narrowing it down, narrowing it down. And at any point, Achan could have said, stop, it was me. And do you know what? I believe that he could probably have found forgiveness at that point like Rahab the prostitute had found forgiveness. Why? Because God does not desire the death of any sinner, but that everyone should repent and find it. It's almost like God's way of saying, you know, we're narrowing it, we're narrowing it, we're narrowing it. And when I was reading it this week, I thought, I wonder what Achan was thinking. You know, that, that the silver and gold would disappear from in his tent? You know, that that Joshua would drop down dead. That the Urim and Thummim would would say, it was Graham Hipwell. (laughs) I mean, what was he thinking? And he goes through all of this, and not once does he open his mouth until Joshua says, it's you. And then, oh yeah, it was me, I'm really sorry. He wasn't sorry, he was sorry he'd been found out. 
Now, repentance is not saying sorry when you've been found out. <laughs> it's almost too late then. Sorry is repenting while still nobody knows, apart from God, and getting it dealt with and getting it cleaned up because the Lord is a gracious and compassionate God. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And you know, if this morning, out of all I do in this, you're feeling a bit uncomfortable about a good sin, my response is good. But all you need to do now is give it to God. For goodness sake, please don't go home with it. Don't go and bury it under the tent again. Whatever's buried under the tent, you know, whatever robe, whatever gold is there, for goodness sake, dig it out. Because that's what God wants. Honest repentance was found from everybody except the man who did it. Because there was no repentance, he ends up facing the consequences of what happens when we don't repent. Honest repentance. Second, I think another way to overcome defeat, if you're, in, if you're facing an AI in your life at the moment and you've, you've faced some defeat of whatever sort, at work, at college, in the family life, personally, morally, if you face some defeat, for goodness sake, ask yourself these questions. Have you honestly repented of it first? Second question. Honest questions. Back in verse 79, Joshua had gone to God and asked why. Not that self-pitying why that says, oh, why did this happen to me? You know, why me? There's the whole world. Why can't it happen to them? Why me? It wasn't that self-pitying why. It was the God, I have to find out why this happened so I can change things. It's that readiness to self-examine and self-examine the situation. Oh God, why did I fail this exam you didn't revise? Yeah, but I asked for the Holy Spirit's help. Yes, but the Holy Spirit isn't too hot on nuclear dynamics. Or, well, he is, but... <laughs> Probably not the way they teach it here, but... <laughs> Honest question. If you're facing an AI in life at the moment, some place you've experienced defeat, please just, just stop and say to God, God, why? Not why, but Why? Why? God, show me, what is it that I need to change? Because keep doing the same thing, hoping the outcome will be different, is a definition of stupidity. God, why? And Joshua had the courage to say to God, why? He asked this honest question and was ready to do what God told him to do. Genuine questions, genuine listening to the answer and doing what God says like Joshua did, even though it was challenging. By the way, that's one of the great reasons for reading your Bible regularly. Because it is exposing us to hearing what God is saying without us looking for our favorite verse in a time of crisis. I've been a Christian a a long time now. And if I could 
add up the number of times when I've needed an answer from God and I opened my Bible just at the next bit that I was due to read that day and God has spoken. And there was my answer. Why? And you know what? Sometimes it was really encouraging and good and sometimes it was a bit... "Mm." But it's facing the... Of life that help get us through. How to overcome AI's honest repentance, honest questions, third, honest action. Now, let's face it, how this story ends is neither pleasant nor easy. Therefore, come and hear Dave's explanation of why it will be. There are good explanations, by the way. We've just not got time to look at them today. But what I'm not going to do this morning is I'm not going to apologize for the story and I'm not going to try and explain it away. Because the Bible does say, as much as God is a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness, the day comes for every single man and woman when the judgment of God faces us all. Now, that's not just something the nasty Old Testament says. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild taught that as well that there is a judgment day. And God does judge sin. And what we see here is an early outworking of that. But for all of us at the end of human history, there is a judgment of sin. And there's only one way to escape it. And it's through putting our faith in a man called Jesus. Jesus. And believing that this God who judges sin also loves sinners enough to have sent his own son into the world to die on the cross in our place to pay the price of sin. Because the wages of sin is death. Jesus says, I'll I'll die for you. I'll take your place. I'll take your death and give you my life. That on that day that you die and appear before Father God in heaven, you will have no fear of that sin you committed on the 13th of October, 1998. Because you'll know that Jesus has forgiven it. It was all dealt with at the cross. There is a judgment coming. Thank God one we can escape through Jesus. And what we see in this story is an enactment of the judgment that was needed to bring the nation of Israel back into covenant blessing again. Now, we're not under that covenant, so we wouldn't do it. But for Israel, they were under that covenant. And if they wanted the blessing of God in the promised land, they had to do things God's way in that land. And they now needed to come out from under the curse of not obeying and into the blessing And Achan, actually all that Achan got was what he'd already decided for himself. It wasn't like unfair. God had clearly said to everyone, everything in this town and everything belonging to it is devoted to destruction. And what Achan had done was to identify himself with something that was heading for destruction. You can't then turn around and say, I didn't know it was devoted to destruction. Of course he knew. So he chooses for himself. He aligns himself with the destruction and is stoned to death for it. Even more challenging because there's that little verse 
Where are we? Second part of verse 25. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest. Wow. The rest there is who? His family. His family were stoned with him too. Now, yes, it would have been impossible for them not to know what he'd done. They were intense, remember, at this time. Have you ever tried digging up old earth and trying to make it look like it's not been dug up? It's, it's impossible. They rarely had coverings on the ground. Almost impossible that the family weren't complicit in this. But actually what really lay behind it, more than that, was this Old Testament sense of corporate responsibility that prevailed in the ancient world. Still does prevail in many parts of the world today, by the way. It's just that us here in the West are often great individualists. And it was the understanding that what I do affects my family, affects others. Still true as a principle today, by the way. No man is an island. And then so nobody ever forgot this story because we don't want another story like this one. They built a memorial. Do you remember they piled up stones after the crossing of the Jordan? Those 12 stones so that when your children come and say, what are these 12 stones for, Daddy? Ah, I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> and here now is another pile of stones. Daddy, what's these 12 stones for? I'm glad you asked me that, son. Because we don't want to walk that way again. And now, now that that's dealt with, an utterly different outcome to the story can come about. But for that, you'll have to come back next week. How can we sum up chapters 6 and 7 then, last week and this week as we close? Well, it's about victory and defeat, and it's about learning how to turn defeat into victory when you've got it wrong, when you hit your AI. But the other thing that struck me as I close this morning is that both chapters 6 and 7 are stories about the power of the hidden. Chapter 6, why were they able to conquer Jericho? Because of the power of what was hidden amongst them, symbolized by that Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. Now, all, all that the folk in Jericho could see was some folk with loud, noisy trumpets waking them up in the morning in a box. But in the box was the power of the hidden. And they succeeded that day because they trusted in the word and direction of him who is the power of the hidden. When you go into work, when you go into your classes this week, do you know what? You go in with the power of the hidden for victory. He goes with you. What a contrast to the second story where there was a different sort of power of the hidden a covering up, a doing what was wrong, a trying to pretend it wasn't right, a, a refusing to face up to, it was me, even when you had chance to. And that pair of the hidden brought disaster for Achan, his family, and the people of God. Which pair of the hidden are you going to walk with this week? In a moment, Steve's going to come and lead us in breaking of bread together. And as we 
do that. We want to give you an opportunity this morning for uh, responding to God. And I, I just want to say this morning two things I want to underline. If you're here this morning because you've drifted away from your Christian faith and you're back here this morning, God bless you, first of all, for coming. But this morning, God says to you, I want you back. And you might have drifted, but I haven't. And God is still here to welcome you back. No matter what you've been into and got into and how you've messed up, the living God still loves you and wants you back. For the rest of us, if we've been facing AIs, this morning's a chance to say, Jesus, through you and what you did at the cross, as I take bread and wine, I'm going to believe that there is victory in you. When I am ready to confess what I've done wrong and listen to your ways of what is right. And if you've been living with something hidden this morning, this morning would be a really good morning for not waiting till it gets down to you, but coming and saying to God, Lord, I confess this stuff because it's getting in the way. And as we take bread and wine, we remember the Jesus whose sacrifice frees us from all of that stuff.